0: Hey, step up, schmuck, let's get some dealin' done! H2O, that's my go! to the Mad Max Minute. We'll pass on the water just to give us Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 6, which begins with Max watching the line of people moving towards Bartertown, and it ends with a pushy water cellar exaggerating the purity of his project. One thing we don't have to exaggerate is the presence of Curtis Blaze from the Better Off Dead Minute. Hey, everybody! Hey, Curtis. Thank you for finishing out the week with us. It's been great. Equally great, of course, is the minute that we are talking about today, minute nine, which starts with Max right where we left him. He's looking out over the wasteland at the long line of people moving towards the settlement in the distance. I wonder at this point if he's looking... Looking at all of these people and thinking, that's where my wagon is. No doubt. Oh,
1: yeah. And I think the music accentuates his attitude about that. It turns a little bit ominous. And it signals to us that this town that he sees below better watch out (laughs) for the mayhem that is Mad Max.
0: (laughs) He's going to need a lot of handcuffs and a lot of overturned utes. (laughs) Because... That is his preferred method of revenge, I think.
1: (laughs) Ooh, yes it is.
2: This is the minute where we get the Bartertown music. Mm-hmm. That sort of off kilter factory hammering noise music.
1: Yeah, makes Bartertown sound busy and full of life, but not the way you really want it to.
0: Right, right. it's industrial, but not organized. Yeah, industrial. it's a little off. Yeah. It's got hints of
2: trains going on there. Mm hmm. you a little train going down the track noise, or feel to it, I guess, which is foreshadowing What's going to happen later?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that one big detail about Bartertown that we're going to discover in a week or two. Just how train like it really is. But I love the way that the soundtrack of Bartertown is just controlled chaos. And we haven't even introduced the saxophone aspect to it yet. Right. <laughs> That's going to be a whole other thing. But just now, the way it sounds, you really get a sense of what to expect before we even walk through the welcome sign.
2: Have you heard the officially released soundtrack from the 80s compared to the soundtrack that is on the movie?
0: I haven't listened to it recently. I've called it up in bits and pieces when I've been doing research. Interesting.
2: Another word might be cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) They definitely did a better job in the movie. Mm. Someone heard the official soundtrack and said, nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) that's fine, release it it fits with what they're
0: doing, we're going to use our own when you get the composer from Lawrence of Arabia and he drums up something no pun intended (laughs) I imagine that they look at that and say oh well he's you know one of the greats we should absolutely use everything he makes and then he makes something that is appropriate to the environment that you're looking at and out of context it might sound a little uh, askew, might be a good word for it
2: yeah, it was really, man, I, I don't want to talk bad about Huey Lewis in the news, but the soundtrack saxophone that they have is an example of how bad the 80s could be. Mm. <laughs> and the saxophonist in the movie is an example of like how cool... Jazz could be. We're totally getting ahead of the minute, so <laughs> sorry about that.
0: You mentioned that how cool the eighty, and I'm like, I'm picturing Tun Tun in my head, and I'm like, are we still talking about Thunderdome, or are we talking about like Lost Boys? <laughs> <laughs> It's close. I'm still very disappointed the fact that they did not bring in Tina Turner's regular saxophone player to play Tun Tun, that they got the actor that they did. But at the same time, I can see why.
1: I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't we have her regular saxophone player? It's not like he had to do any acting. he just sit there in a loincloth and play saxophone.
0: Maybe they tried putting him on set it's just the pelvic thrusts that he was known for didn't jive well with the sumo rap yeah. that the character was wearing Maybe
1: he just refused to sit there still mm-hmm. and play the saxophone insisted on dancing (laughs) either way it's a shame
2: yeah okay i'm gonna say two things now and i want and and this is the this is the game real life or mad max okay here i go (laughs) i'm gonna say two names you tell me which one is real life and which one is mad max iron bar angry anderson okay which one is real which one is mad max
0: Hmm. let's see Iron Bar has a really industrial feel to it, so that would make... I think the one-name aspect to it feels very cinematic, but at the same time, with a name like Angry Anderson, although I feel like Angry Anderson would better fit a guy that's, I don't know, maybe singing 80s hair metal, but he doesn't have the hair to back it up, or the height... Are you
2: sure he might not be a wasteland warlord?
0: I could see Angry Anderson aspiring to be maybe like some sort of wasteland enforcer, but he would need some sort of accoutrement to back up his short stature.
2: Or maybe he tells everyone that people call him Angry Anderson, but really everybody knows that they just call him Phil.
0: Or that his real name is just Gary. Right. <laughs> Gary wants everyone to call him Angry Anderson. <laughs> so I love that this is our first view of Iron Bar. As we fade from Max starting to walk down towards Bartertown, we fade into this line of people just walking in front of Iron Bar. And he is just, I mentioned back in one of the beginning episodes, I think it might have even been like minute one when we saw his name the first time. He's only five foot one, but he's flanked by other guards in Auntie's employ. And despite his short stature, he's looking at everyone down his nose because he knows that he's... Top dog on this uh chew toy pile
2: well he does have a little help in the hype department with his <laughs> What okay what you guys you guys are the one doing this movie what do you call that thing what what's he wearing is that a totem what is that
1: it's a kabuki mask
0: yeah julie didn't you look up a bunch of stuff about
1: i did this is gonna sound it's gonna sound kind of insulting but i didn't really find anything interesting <laughs> Uh, It was exactly what I thought it was. Kabuki is Japanese theater. And it was a little unclear. One source that I read about said they didn't wear masks while doing the theater. The masks represented the elaborate makeup that they would wear. Mm. So I'm not really sure exactly why kabuki masks are a thing, but they are. Hmm. And I'm really not sure why this particular kabuki mask is a thing for Iron Bar. Does it denote something of his heritage? Is it a trophy that he won? I have no idea.
2: Is he just short and wants to be as tall as everyone? So... Right, is he
1: simply trying to compensate and he found this thing in the market that he thought it looked cool, so he stuck it on his... Is he wearing a girdle? <laughs>
2: that's so funny that you say that.
1: I would have to go back and look at the minute, and I don't have it in front of me. But my memory says he's wearing some sort of band around his torso that does not go up and over his shoulders. And isn't that kind of, like, partly the definition of a girdle?
0: I think you might be right.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, a girdle goes over the shoulders?
1: No, a girdle does not go over the shoulders.
0: It's more or less a male corset.
2: Because of what I was doing right before I got on the air with you
0: guys... I was thinking corset. You don't want to cover the shoulders. You want to show off the tattoos that he's got along right. his arms and back. I mean, that's his canvas. You don't want to hide that under a bushel basket.
2: No. But at the same time, you don't want everyone to think you're fat.
0: <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, just because he's one of Auntie's prime guards, it probably means he has a more comfortable situation than other people in Barter Town, but he doesn't want to show off at any point that he might be given more food or more allowances than other people so he's got to stay spelt. But then again, he's probably just naturally strong because he spends all day beating up, you know, people that run afoul of auntie.
1: It's interesting that you say that he probably wants to hide a few extra pounds that he may have because he is well taken care of. Historically, that is the exact opposite of what has happened back in you know the past when <laughs> <laughs> when you couldn't just go to a supermarket and buy food a person who was thicker was considered
0: more bourgeoisie
1: yes that they had enough money that they had the ability to feed themselves well yeah so it, that was considered an asset a plus
2: jeez guys you know until this conversation I never thought about it and I never thought to look for it but look at all these guards They've all got a little muffin top going. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that was on purpose.
1: Let's fatten you up a little bit so that people see my ability to take care of my people. Or let's cast
2: some people that maybe aren't so big so that we can emphasize how scrawny the, uh,
0: the people coming into town are.
1: <sighs> you know what? That's a really good point.
0: Yeah. Every single one of Auntie's guards are tall. Yeah. Rather muscled, but also just physically big. Bigger. Just
1: large people. That reminds me, side note, and a little cross promotion for our Patreon page. We're reviewing Hook five minutes at a time, and I was preparing my notes. And I was looking up why Peter Pan is always played by a woman. And one of the reasons is so that they didn't have to scale down the rest of the actors, like the Lost Boys. They could have an adult woman who could pass as an adolescent boy playing Peter Pan so that all the other Lost Boys could also be adults. Much easier to cast, much easier to handle. There's no labor laws and stuff like that. So it's all about proportions and perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think Auntie and George Miller are playing that same game.
0: Yeah. Well, all right. And we really get to see a big contrast between the guards and the line of people that are walking by. The first couple of people that stood out to me in this throng are walking almost... Immediately in front of Iron Bar and they are wearing metal collars and they are chained together. And it makes me think that maybe slavery slash indentured servitude or maybe even a bounty hunter economy has sprung up in the wasteland.
2: That's also Max getting drugged behind the cars going to the Citadel in Fury Road. Mmm. Mmm.
0: So this definitely won't be the last time we see someone chained up and dragged off somewhere.
2: Did you guys catch the way the iron bar... The reason that he breaks from his guard status and starts following the crowd is because he's following Max?
0: Yeah, I definitely picked up on that. I mean, they're sitting there and they're watching everybody walk by. There's a lot of characters. But when he sees Max... They cut in behind. Hey, he's looking
2: him up and down. He's going head to boots.
1: I wonder if there's something specific about Max, other than his air of skill and danger, if there's something specific about him that is triggering their attention. Like... For example, maybe the quality of his boots Mm -hmm. right, Or, or something like that.
0: It's something I always like to go back to. If you put on an air of, I belong here, people will just let you walk by. But if you put on an air of, I'm here on a mission and I have a very specific thing that I am here to accomplish, that might also catch the eye of people that are looking for troublemakers. Max is in a situation where... His stuff has been stolen and he is here to get it back. When we get into the entryway of Barter Town and he starts talking to the collector, he is no nonsense. He is not in the mood for jokes. He is there on a mission. And so I feel like Ironbar is able to pick up on that more or less vibe mm-hmm. that Max is putting out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Max might get a little further by using more of a stealth mode mm. to enter, like not telling everybody that he's there for revenge. Might get him in a little further with a little less trouble.
2: How would Max ever be capable of that, though? He's lost touch with humanity.
1: We- yeah, yeah. Plus, we've seen
0: Max's style of stealth. It's basically try to be stealthy and then fall into a ditch and then get out by the skin of your teeth. (laughs) I mean...
1: (laughs) And this is a similar way that he entered the compound in Road Warrior. He had an asset. He waltzed right up to the gate and just for what he wanted in return for this asset.
0: Mm-hmm. And there are quite a few people walking up to this front gate. I noted down as I was watching everybody walk by, there are at least two other wastelanders walking by and they have long rifles mm-hmm. slung up over their shoulders. One of them has a bindle tied to the end of his rifle. The other one is just, Got his rifle out. And so, despite the information that we read the other day, where the fuel is all gone in this state of the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the ammunition is all gone. And it might be you can come across ammunition in the craziest places. I mean, you might be walking along and someone thinks they've got a walking stick and a funny looking mobile, but what they've actually got is a gun. And a bunch of bullets hanging on strings.
2: I can see that. So it makes sense. You always keep your long gun with you because it is a good walking stick. And sometimes you find something to shoot out of it.
0: Exactly. But it's funny that these guys just walking with their weapons out, those aren't the ones that tip off Iron Bar. Because they're just trudging along. They're not walking with purpose. Mm
2: -hmm. I think I know this, though. Mm -hmm. This is every cop in every small town. They know who's there. And they know who the strangers are.
1: Right.
0: A lot of the people in this line all seem to be wearing the same color sand and brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Max is wearing black.
1: Right.
2: And if there's a thousand people in Bartertown, I'd be shocked.
1: I really like the idea that these are like town cops and they know who belongs here, who is an outsider. Even in a town like Bartertown, where people are constantly coming and going, they still know who the regulars are.
2: Yeah, that's how I think of them.
1: And then they know this guy has never been here before, is a complete stranger, so they're wary. Oh, and it also occurred to me, his cape that he's wearing is covering quite a bit of his body. They may be rightfully suspicious of what he's got underneath the cape.
0: Mm -hmm. And he also appears to be walking without any goods. Like, you see, there are people, they've got carts that they're pushing or pulling. There's at least one guy who's got a cart connected up to a dog, and I'm assuming that this dog specifically survives the movie, which would honestly be a first for the series, for a dog to actually reach (laughs) the end, but...
1: I would assume it doesn't survive. It can't. No, it
2: can't. I want to be positive.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: That dog didn't make it to the collector. (laughs) Mad Max rule. But yeah, he doesn't have a cart. He doesn't have a backpack. He doesn't have a bindle. One thing I really like is there are multiple people in this minute riding bicycles, and I feel like... When people go into post-apocalyptic situations, they always forget about bicycles.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, they're a fairly simple mechanical object that doesn't require any power. Except the power in
0: your legs.
1: Yeah. You
2: don't have to try to find food to feed six camels. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. You don't have to try
2: to find fuel to make your car go.
1: And finding bits and pieces to mend it when it breaks, it's easier than trying to repair your car. Yeah. When it breaks. A much simpler machine.
0: And you can customize it any which way. I mean, the first guy that I saw, it looked like he had a big old cage attached to the back of his bicycle. Yeah, you
1: can drag things with it. Mm -hmm. You can put multiple seats on it. Mm
0: -hmm. In his case, chickens. Yep. Yeah. So by the way, chickens are a thing. (laughs) That gives me a lot of comfort (laughs) because we saw chickens in the second movie being raised within the compound. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that they survived elsewhere because it's such a viable animal. Yes. Yes. So useful and tasty. Eggs are
1: very nutritious.
0: Tons of protein. Yes. It's the best way to start your day. Mm -hmm. Get a lot of eggs, fill you up. That way you're not hungry by 10 a.m.
1: And you can keep riding your bicycle.
0: Yeah.
2: Hey, have you noticed that water-selling guy is wearing a necklace of cups?
1: Yes.
0: I I imagine that he wears a necklace of cups so that way if someone wants to buy water from him and they don't have a cup of their own, then he can upsell them on a cup.
1: I was wondering (laughs) if you thought he would upsell them the cup or loan them the cup. I like the upsell idea because he's obviously a swindler.
0: Yeah.
2: I like to think it's a combination
0: he rent them the
2: cup. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he's got a wide variety depending on their tastes. <laughs> the look of the water cellar in this movie, for one thing, his hat is an umbrella. There are corks hanging from the edge of the umbrella hat. He's got a weather vane at the top of, like, this hat is very complex. And, I mean, the bike itself, it's got the big old tank in the back. It's got some sort of, I'm assuming, reservoir, distilling tower yeah. in the front. Yeah. And he's very obnoxious.
2: He's got a still in the back of his bike. Yeah. He is purifying water.
0: Well, we would hope. Well. <laughs> and according to what he's yelling, he's he's riding along shouting about how his water has no preservatives. It's <laughs> just pure water, cool and clear. And then his opening selling line, which I'm, it doesn't seem to be very effective. He says, step up, schmuck. Let's get some dealing done. And it's like...
1: No finesse to it at does all. Does schmuck
0: mean something else in the post-apocalypse than it does here in New England?
1: <laughs> no.
0: It, it's always been an insult here.
1: <laughs> I think his commodity is so valuable that he doesn't need to be nice to people.
0: Yeah. He's like a plumber or something.
1: Right.
2: Out of this whole line of people, why Max?
1: That's... Because
0: Max
2: isn't a regular? Yeah. Because Max doesn't have anything on him that yeah, can obviously trade
0: with but max is guaranteed to be one guy in that line of people if all the rest are regulars He's the guy that doesn't know the quality mm, of the water in the tank. Good point. True.
1: Good point.
2: If he is scamming with bad radioactive water, and there's so many regulars that he's driving past almost that whole line, how's he making any money? I, I would think that strangers in the region would be few and far between. I would think it's mostly people that just come here regularly to the trade.
0: It's all about finding that one desperate guy. That one guy who hasn't been able to get to a water hole lately, or maybe he had some bad luck out in the wasteland. And so when he's getting to this line and the water cell is riding around, he could probably pick out the people that look a little chapped, a little bone dry.
1: I'm still thinking about this water Mm -hmm. and regulars to Barter Town. Does radioactive water taste different than non-radioactive water? No. Okay. So my guess is that Geyer counters probably few and far between. So do the general masses of the people around him even know that his water is radioactive?
0: That's a good point. They might know it by reputation like people might have drank it and then gotten sick. Okay. But then again, in the wasteland, I mean, how would you know sick from healthy half the time anyway?
1: And my second question is, if you had to choose between dying of thirst and dying of radiation poisoning, which would you choose?
0: I'm going to counter that question with another question. Would you rather die of thirst or buy water from this obnoxious water cellar? Because honestly, I might just die of thirst because I cannot stand pushy salesmen. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just that obnoxious myself.
1: Yeah, I can't at
2: this point either. when you found civilization if you're Max, you're thinking there's probably gonna be some water available. Someone's got water, not this guy.
0: If you've yes. got that many people in one area, there's gotta be a good, consistent source of water. Especially since as he was walking underneath the sign for the settlement, it said Barter Town helping build a better tomorrow.
1: Right. You can't build a better tomorrow with radioactive water. Right. There has to be other sources. So maybe this guy on the bicycle with the tanks is out in front of all of the other water sellers, trying to get people first. Because mm. mm. if you're like Max, who's been walking through the desert for- who knows how long. Now, in the novelization, it makes a very specific point of saying he was near death when he arrived. He barely made it to Barter Town. So, imagine experiencing that, walking up, and immediately being offered water. Of course you're going to want to take it. And unless you know better that it's radioactive, you're going to take it.
2: Unless your monkey threw a Geiger counter off the
0: back of your wagon.
1: (laughs) Yes, unless you're a very lucky man with a very smart monkey.
0: (laughs) That is one detail that the movie did not convey at all
1: no no
0: max seemed very capable very aware of his surroundings yes as he walked in but then again when you've only got a hundred some odd minutes to do your movie you don't want to waste all this time of oh this is the scene where max finds water this is the scene where max eats a sandwich and you know then you're turning into 24 and even in the show 24 jack bauer didn't do a lot of that stuff right
2: and to be fair, also, in 1985, before the rise of the internet culture and analyzing movies minute by minute, we just assumed Max had 10 guns on him and 7 knives and his Geiger counter and mm-hmm. his whistle because that stuff would be useful. And if you did fall off the wagon, that would be a death sentence if you didn't have certain things just on you. Right. If you fell asleep and rolled off the wagon, boy, when you woke up, you'd want to have a way to tell if water is safe and something to hunt with and, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Having those basics on your person at all times.
2: Mm-hmm. Just survivalism.
1: Seems like a really smart move. That's what I always assumed,
2: you know, up until recently with this. Until it heard about the monkeys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) People weren't analyzing movies so specifically, and TV as well, until the internet really got going in the mid to late 90s. So when this came out, nobody had any idea that people were going to be scrutinizing yeah. movies so minutely to notice, oh, he doesn't look tired enough mm. right. or parched enough for having walked through the desert.
0: Yeah. Siskel and Ebert were never going to get that specific. Your newspaper movie reviewer was never going to nitpick that much because guess what? They also have three other movies that they need to write reviews for that weekend and everything like that.
2: Yeah. In 1985, the only people to- doing that were Star Trek nerds.
1: Right. <laughs> that was it.
2: Even Star Wars people hadn't gotten there yet.
1: So I think movies I think are made a little differently now. Mm-hmm. More attention to detail, which oh, I feel weird saying that because there's plenty of attention to detail. Yeah. in this movie. Plenty of callbacks to previous movies. It's all there. It's just Oh
2: no, this is a solid movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely all there, but nowadays when Directors and producers are expecting their movies to get picked apart frame by frame. It's different now.
2: I have a different theory. What's up? I think the movie-going audience has just lost their ability to infer.
1: Yeah, I'm good with that theory.
2: Movies have gotten so stupid that I think people don't try to make the leaps themselves anymore.
0: It makes sense. I mean, with how many different directions people's attention are getting pulled in these days, you really need to lay it out for people so that they don't have to do those mental gymnastics to reach a certain point. Because if they have to extend themselves to exercise that effort, they're just going to go do something easier.
2: Well, and I don't know how you guys feel about this channel. I don't really have anything against them because I find it entertaining. But a lot of the sins that exist in sins exist on the assumption that people can't make inference. And it just drives me nuts. I hate it when they do that.
1: I find that channel very, very entertaining. And we watched the sins for Beyond Thunderdome.
0: Yeah, we've mentioned it a couple times. We have.
1: And a lot of the sins, I'm like, why does that matter? Or if you were paying attention at all, you would know the answer to that. Right. Stuff like that. And, you know, it's all done for entertainment and that's fine. And
2: there's nothing wrong with it. It's a fun channel.
1: Yeah, it is. But anytime he does a movie that I know and love... I disagree with at least half the sense Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> there are people out there that loathe that channel. And I've said already in... Just these six episodes we've released so far, there are definitely things in the Everything Wrong With video for Beyond Thunderdome that I do not agree with, and Julia made an excellent point as to why. But then again, they also do call attention to those little things like, hey, if Sally Ann had not thrown certain items off the back of the wagon, this movie would be drastically different. But I watch them and I laugh because...
2: Because they're fun. I like to they're entertaining. fun movies,
0: which is why we're doing this. <laughs>
2: but that is a thing. The Michael Baying of movies mm-hmm. has just ruined people's ability to watch movies, I think. Having 60 cuts every 15 seconds, I think, has just blasted people's critical analysis skills.
0: <laughs> yeah. Getting back to the minute real quick, in the wide shot before we meet the water cellar, the camera comes up and we can see something that we have not seen yet in this movie. And I know we're only a minute at six but there are vehicles driving around outside barter town which we were told by the director and the screenwriter the gasoline is gone and we've got at least two cars one motorcycle and they're just tooling around something is different about this place we've got three cars in a motorcycle yeah
1: yeah i'm not sure i kind of feel like this is a reveal a little too soon that there is a source of energy at mm-hmm. this place All I thought it
2: served was to make it seem more like civilization, like, oh, look, they don't need camels. And like, what is that?
0: I like that they were included here because the collector is going to have a line later on in this movie. Once they introduce where they get their energy from, he lists the lights, the vehicles, the such and such and whatnot. And we've already seen these vehicles. And so we have an answer in that moment. And here it's just a little tease of a question. What's going on here Why is this place different from everywhere else out in the wasteland?
1: Something else about the overhead shot that drives me absolutely bananas. So you've got the main line of people Mm -hmm. who are going under the sign and then towards the door. And it seems very much like a queue line. Mm -hmm. Well, then there are other people coming into the sides... They're not heading for the back of the line. They are heading to the front of the line. Yep. That is not cool. There's a lot of people who are trying to cut the line.
0: This is wasteland anarchy.
1: It is. (laughs) Mm Mm-mm. No. How
0: dare they? I'm almost a little upset that Iron Bar are hanging out by the town sign when they should be hanging out closer to the door making sure people aren't cutting.
1: Yeah. One time in high school at the lunch line, I accidentally cut somebody in line. (gasps) And it was no big deal. Like, they didn't yell at me. I realized it. I'm like, oh my gosh, did I just cut you? And they're like, yeah, I felt so bad. I got out of line and went <laughs> to the back. I can't do cutting.
0: Another thing that happens during this scene is we see
2: Auntie Entity's house
0: mm-hmm. peeking up over the wall. That surrounds Bartertown. I never noticed that before, and it's an interesting perspective on Bartertown. Yeah, this angle.
1: I like it when we get high up shots that, like, you see lots of things. Lets you kind of get the layout of the land, and there's so much to look at. I really like this kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So is the collector built
2: in? I guess that's in the next minute. <laughs>
1: It is. We don't get to the collector today.
0: We won't have you for that minute. So if you've got comments about the collector, we'll let you slip them in.
2: I don't really. It just always seems like they go through this sort of wall thing into the keep that is Barter Town. And somewhere inside that wall must be where the collector is. Mm -hmm. And how does that work? They certainly didn't put together enough explosives to blast their own wall. That's not a hand-built wall. That's natural. So it's like a hole in the wall, and yet things are dug into it. And there's a room up to the left of the main, I don't know, entrance, like a place where you would shoot from if you were defending the place. There's like some
0: things going on with this wall that don't quite jive with the level of technology that they seem to have. Personally speaking, I thought the wall looked sort of like mud. Like something that you would take dirt and water and cement or something and build up. It looks natural because it doesn't look very straight lined and organized, wow. but it does look to me like some sort of wall that would be built up by dirt and rock around the opening because this is, barter town is in a quarry. So it's got a natural cutout.
2: Now you just expanded my mind now i'm picturing them stacking vehicles on top of each other and then over time daubing it with more mud and more mud until it becomes this thing that we see
0: here you see that is the oh. kind of thing that would be explored in an anti entity prequel movie that is so <laughs> <Yes>. cool <laughs>
1: I love that you said that because that's very similar to how the Great Wall of China was first built. They built up mm, like a hedge of straw and sticks and then they like layered it and coated it with mud, just made it bigger and bigger and bigger till technology advanced and they made it into stone. But that's how it started. They just took some stuff, covered it with mud. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense.
2: Wow. What a great design! <laughs> that's, that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now that we've had this discussion, you can totally see that that's how that went. At first, they had at first they had the same wall as the compound dwellers in Road Warrior, and now this is the advanced
0: version of it. Mm-hmm. Graham Walker was able to put together the compound in Road Warrior. And then when they got to the quarry for Thunderdome, he said, okay, I can do more now. Well, <laughs> because they had more millions of dollars to play with. Mm-hmm. Yes. That always helps. Real quick, the Water seller. he is played by a guy named Bob Hornery. His top four on IMDb include Thunderdome, the TV show Blue Healers between 1995 and 2002. He had a couple of roles on there. He was in a 1980 feature called Felix, P H O E. Lix, where apparently he played Queen Nefertiti, and then he was in 1999's Thunderstone, where he played Monsoon. Bob Hornery was born on May 28th, 1931, in Randwick, Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, as Robert James Hornery. He was married to Patricia Allen, and he died on May 26th, 2015, in Melbourne.
2: I always thought it was a travesty that they didn't bring him back for the sequel, Beyond Thunderstone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the show, was it a TV show you said was called Blue Healer?
0: Yep, it's an Australian as, cop show.
1: As in the dog?
0: As in the dog. I am assuming that they're making some sort of play like...
1: Like the blue shepherd, cop uniform. Shepherding
0: dogs, police shepherding criminals right. wearing blue. Like a
1: canine yeah. cop TV show. I mean... Which we have plenty of here in say. the States. <laughs> well, so, they
0: have plenty in Australia too. Saying Australian cop show, Australians are like, you're going to have to be more specific.
1: <laughs> What's the cop show with the dog?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tequila and Benetti is the one you're thinking of. You
1: know exactly what I'm thinking of. Tequila and Benetti.
0: That one was not set in Australia. No. (laughs) (laughs) But it did have a talking dog, so there you go.
1: I
2: have two things I just want to point out. I don't know that there's any discussion to be had around it. Auntie Entity Mm -hmm. must be just smoked out all the time according to the scene. Constantly, unless the wind is perfect. Hmm. Whatever is burning underneath of her... What would you call that, flechette? I like to call it a penthouse. Penthouse. Underneath of her penthouse. It's just sm- It's smoking so big. You, you see it in the shop from far away, the big smoke. That must be the big smoke that it is. And then when they they crane up and you see her penthouse, the big thing burning
0: underneath of it.
1: That must smell absolutely horrific.
0: Well, it all depends on what's burning. It could be a food stand. I mean, they must be burning methane.
1: Yeah, we know what they're burning.
0: Yeah. Do you think that might be one of the big smokestacks for the power station? I mean,
1: that would be stupid to put it
0: right underneath. Yeah, you
1: you don't put your power plant in the middle of your city.
0: Yet, there it is.
1: Right. Sometimes you have to. If you can't transport the energy, you have to put it in the middle of your city.
0: Yeah, and we never really know exactly where Underworld is in relation to the rest of Barter Town. Isn't that weird? That is weird.
2: I used to just assume it was underneath somewhere. As I did more reading about it, it's like, oh, these are mines. Mm Mm-hmm. She started with mines. They probably started in the mines and then expanded out and then built the little wall and, you know, got more civilized and more civilized. Mm Mm-hmm. It wouldn't literally be right underneath, although it could be.
1: Even if it's not, it appears that the exhaust system lets the smoke out right near her. Right. That seems just not smart.
2: Like it's coming up right next to Thunderdome. Like, okay, if her penthouse is where we see it. Thunderdome would be sort of in a diagonal line towards the entrance Mm -hmm. between her penthouse and the entrance and then that smokestack would come up right by Thunderdome to the west there.
0: It probably could also be closer to the wall. Oh, and and just a perspective thing?
1: Perhaps. Might it be an optical illusion?
0: It might be a perspective thing. Yeah. Yeah, possibly.
2: Well, that would make sense then if they were outgassing to as far away from the place as they could out at the wall.
0: That would make sense because if you got a lot of thick black smoke, not even black smoke, it's like a gray smoke, but if you got thick smoke coming out of something, you put it out of your defensive wall. That way it masks what's inside the wall depending on how thick the smoke is. Mm, Might be strategic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Possibly.
2: Well, then the other thing I've got, the only banner I can make out as they're entering is a picture of Auntie Entity, and it says, Auntie says, build the future. That's inspiring. (laughs)
0: Isn't it? Yeah. It goes back to that idea when George Miller was talking about the character of Auntie Entity that she represents Yesterday's hero. Yesterday's hero that struggled and succeeded and has now come into their own. And now that they're in charge, they like things a certain way. And when a stranger comes to town and tries to buck against that, they shift from the hero to the villain role.
1: How very Batman. Oh my
0: god. How very Batman. My brain just
2: melted a little. They don't need another hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. She's not the hero they need, but it's the one they deserve. <laughs> All right. Well, we have more or less reached the end of this minute. The water seller is trying to push his wares onto Max. Max responds by pulling a Geiger counter out from underneath his cloak and he starts passing it over the water. And we hear a couple of clicks and then the minute just cuts off. So that's all we're getting this week. We're going to have to count on coming back and seeing what Max does with that water seller next week. But in the meantime, Curtis, we've had a great time having you on. Where can people find more of you?
2: Well... For the next several years at least, they'll be able to listen to new shows of the Better Off Dead happening not very frequently. (laughs) And and by the end of the year, we're going to start launching the Clue Minute.
0: I am very much looking forward to that because I think when we had you on for Minute 25 of Road Warrior, like you mentioned earlier in the week, you were still in the planning stages of that. And I think you're still putting it together. But the idea is that you're going to sort of examine the movie from a legal investigative eye. Is that right?
2: Yes. That is still accurate. That's what I'm doing. I'm deep in pre-production right now. I'm taking a long time on it because my experience with Better Off Dead is that I don't want to get caught Mm flat-footed. I have a very busy life. I own two businesses, you know, and I just want to get it done before I put it out. It's going to be all pre-production and then just sitting back and rolling in the internet dough. Ooh.
1: (laughs) I like the sound of completely producing the entire season and then just putting it out there. That makes me happy.
2: (laughs) It makes me feel so much less stressed.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Right now, I've got the, you know, the thing where you make all the notes about what happens in the movie second to second. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at.
0: Nice. That's always a mixture of fun and tedium as far as the preparation process is concerned. (laughs) Yeah, but now that's over, so yay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to that so i'm gonna keep an eye out for it well thanks in the meantime if people are interested in picking up better off dead minute or any of the other movies by minute shows you can find all of that on moviesbyminutes.com including the star wars minute which really popularized this format it's all there on the website there and you can pick up a new show or i don't know you could just stick with us i mean we're here You're already listening to us, so you might as well keep going. There's plenty of movie left, and we will pick up with the next three minutes, at least, on Monday. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Join our Patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link.
1: Thank you for joining us for Minute 6 of Beyond Thunderdome. See you next time!